just because you're successful doesn't even mean that who you are caused that. There's millions of factors that play into success. And even like assuming that I'm great and that's why I'm successful is damaging. The same as it's damaging if you think I'm terrible and that's why I'm not successful. Those things don't correlate one to one. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. Welcome to Decision Point. I'm so glad that you could join us today. I recently had a chance to sit down with Patrick Downs, who is the sales enablement trainer and manager at PandaDoc and is the co-host of the Customer Engagement Lab podcast, as well as the Five on Friday podcast. Um, If you are not familiar with PandaDoc, PandaDoc is the all-in-one document automation software that empower sales teams to streamline their process to generate, negotiate, and sign proposals, quotes, and contracts. All right, I'm excited to have Patrick on the show today. Not only is he a phenomenal sales leader and coach, but he is also the funniest man in revenue. So tell me a little bit about the Customer Engagement Lab. Yeah, so Customer Engagement Lab is part two of our project of launching a PandaDoc podcast. Uh, The first version of it was just me without a haircut for like seven months at the beginning of the pandemic with like a shaggy mane interviewing random people I liked on LinkedIn on just a video podcast. And it was you have a couple of really cool haircuts. When when I was researching you, you, I like you. You had some like really. I mean, I like I was jealous. I love I love the the haircuts. (laughs) yeah the soup is iconic um but yeah it was just me in my kitchen because at the time we were just forced into work from home and i live in like a two-room condo it's just a big space so i was just in my kitchen and the cro was like you cannot be on your podcast with your dishes in the back i saw the cheerios (laughs) corporate cro and i like the cheerio box yeah, did not oh, love the shoot. Cheerios and the dishes. I liked it. So, yeah, so I really loved doing it. And I got a lot of good feedback from people, especially the people I interviewed that were like, wow, that was that was really interesting. I don't know how you got me to say that and stuff like that. that. That was the first time I'd ever interviewed anybody. So for me, that was a good initial, like, okay, maybe you should try this again, even though that wasn't the right fit for you. So we're launching it again with Travis, who also lives locally in St. Pete. And we're co-hosts now. We're doing more of like a comedy angle where we're looking to entertain people while giving them a rundown of what's going on kind of in the day-to-day sales and marketing world. We do a lot of like scouring LinkedIn, looking for the best posts, talking about them, discussing them, talking about news. The whole pitch is like daily show for sales pretty much. And we have segments. The, the most recent one we just did, like the who is each department on a road trip and like joking about that and just like little comedy bits as well. Well, well, I have it. So I got it. So I have a, so you customer engagement, which I assume at the end of the day, you're talking about how do you get your customers to use the product and how do you get them to stay around for a long period of time? Right. Is that the premise? The the basic premise. When you think about customer engagement, what do you think about? It's creative outreach is our, is our main topic. So we do one interview per episode. We have like just us doing comedy bits at the beginning. And then the interview is about people that have experienced like creative outreach, what stands out to them, what is their team used. That sort of thing. Gotcha. So it's more customer engagement on the on the front end of the funnel. Correct. That's where we're starting, but we left it vague enough where you know customer engagement can mean a lot of things. Um, so as we go on, it could potentially go deeper into the funnel. But tell me a little bit more. So, like on the customer engagement side, you guys are th- you guys have chosen to talk about creative outreach. What's mm-hmm. the is that 
what sort of has driven that? Obviously, the product that you guys provide is not a top of the funnel product. No, because um, our target is sales and marketing people, right? So we want people that we want to work with to like our brand and to listen to our podcast and think we're cool. We just want to be cool. That really, when it comes down to it, (laughs) that's what it is. It's like, I want every SaaS sales company to think we're cool. I'll tell you what's cool, Patrick. Panda tattoos. (laughs) Panda tattoos. Panda tattoos are cool. (laughs) Bamboo tattoos, anything panda related. Yeah. I love the bamboo. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, that, that was a major driver because, you know, a lot of our customers are the kind of people that we would want to listen to our podcast. Um, well, that's that's uh, that's that's exciting. I mean, the, the podcasts are definitely a great way. I mean, ultimately, you want to generate revenue uh, from, you know, from the podcast and brand recognition, but they're just a lot of fun. You know, it's great having guys on. I mean, I've, since we've been doing ours, I've just had a blast uh, having, so having people on and having conversations and it sounds like you're you probably feel like a full time podcaster right now. If you got three <laughs> three podcasts that you're on, I do, yeah. And I had a fourth too that I stopped doing. <laughs> Those you like probably, an you must not have kids. You must no, have, <laughs> yeah, you must be kidless, yeah. No, I, I I chose the mic over the baby. The mic over the baby. Mics over babies. <laughs> Get that on. I love shirt, it, man. That's a better T-shirt. That's the best, man. We're rolling. Um. So so did Kyle tell me right that you were a marketer and then you transitioned to AE? Or was it the other way around? That was Travis did that. He's my co-host. Oh, okay. But I, I I have worked in like marketing, uh, content writing. Like I, I was an English major in college, and like one of the okay. things I wanted to do was was where'd, so. Where'd you go to school, and how'd you get into sales? Uh, University of New Hampshire. I was born and raised in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, like thirty-five minutes away from the Greater Boston area. And I went to school for English because I thought I was going to be a creative person, ended up finding a job for Yelp account executive on an alumni board and was like, oh, an executive. I'm going to have my own office because I was an idiot. Um, And then I decided, cool, I'm going to apply for this job that pays $30,000 a year and drive all the way across the country. And my mom's broken a Zuzu rodeo. The transmission didn't even make it the whole way without an apartment, even like booked for myself. I was on the phone with a real estate agent while I was driving to Arizona. What, what year is this? 2015. Okay. Dude, that's so so six old. years ago. So you yeah, go that- to University of New Hampshire and you're like, hey, I'm going to work for Yellow Pages. I'm get, exe- all executives get offices. <laughs> I didn't know what an account executive was because I hadn't what? watched Mad Men yet, you know? Oh, man. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's, so, that's so awesome. Do you have, what'd your, what'd your folks do growing up? My dad uh, was a business owner. He owned a real estate business, a bowling alley, and a nightclub. Oh, uh, my mom worked with him on that. And she also ran a uh, gas station and auto repair shop. And then, like my grandparents, were all business owners too. So, okay, does blood. that give you the entrepreneurial itch? Then it does. I, th- that is what I ultimately want to do. But because it's you know twenty twenty one, the idea is like a media business, right? Oh, okay, okay, like doing uh, this. Interesting. Well, hey, yeah. once you get the itch, it's hard to, it's, you know, it's hard to, well, you get a good experience at Painted Doc. That's good. Yeah, it's an amazing experience. Um, so how'd you get it? So how'd you go from Yellow Pages to Painted Doc? So it was Yelp, by the way. I got oh, I'm confused sorry. for them. Yellow. No problem. Totally fine. Because when I called people, they'd be like, Yellow Pages. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> Yelp, like, like the sound a dog makes when you step on it. <laughs> And like, oh, funny, funny. Um, yeah, so Yelp, I ended up going to a San Diego-based uh, SaaS company called House Call Pro. It's a field service management system. That was my first software job. 
It was very SMB because you're literally selling to the dudes that wake up at 4 a.m. to go fix a house, you know, like that kind of person. Um, but it was a good first experience with it because I got to experience what LTV to CAC meant and how inbound funnels work and the different kinds of sales teams that exist in a revenue org at a software company. And then from there, I ended up moving to this tiny, tiny software company that barely existed called Goin, where I ran the entire revenue team uh, from new business sales to account management, even to like product management. I ended up taking over and helped the engineering team develop the product because it was like a custom software. So that was a, a very interesting experience. Got to wear a lot of hats. Did you did you like that? I loved it. it it's what made me want to like seek for more because at first I was like, oh, I'll just stay in sales, get to enterprise sales, you know, cash out as like a key account manager or something and just ride that wave. But then when I did that, I was like, okay, I probably want to be in a more strategic role because this is like scratching the itch real nice. Right on. So, so, so you go from there and then how do you get into, how do you get to St. Pete, the sun? (laughs) So do you move to St. Pete and then get the job or do you get the job and move to St. Pete? Oh God. I I ended up moving to this little coastal town called Zephyr Hills where they bottle the water uh, in in Florida. Oh really? I was living with my uncle for a while because there was like a family situation. And then I ended up um, not being able to keep my job at House Call Pro because they couldn't pay for me to work remote just because I was in Florida. So I had to leave. And then I was without that job for a while and decided, all right, well, I got to look for stuff locally. There was one software company in St. Pete at the time, and it was called PandaDoc. And I was like, well, this is my only option, and I better get the job (laughs) because if I don't, there's no other companies. And I got it. (laughs) So what do you start at as an an AE? I mean, they they got a little software. They got some software companies out of there now, don't they? They do now. They get a little... But I started almost three years ago, and when that was the case, it, there was nothing. It was just um, Outreach had an SDR office, but it was just SDRs, and PandaDoc, which was interesting. Okay. But I, I actually started as an SDR because I, I accepted okay. an account executive job, but then when I got there, they were like, by the way, you got to do SDR work for like three months. And I was like, well, kind of mad no, about it, just, but also it's a good experience. starts out as an SDR? Correct. Yeah, I guess it just wasn't explained to me fully because I didn't get how that works because in the past I'd always been full cycle for the most part. And I was like, what the heck is an SDR? Meaning you were doing <laughs> the front, you were doing the whole thing, right? You. Yeah, I was 100% used to just running the entire cycle from prospect to close. Awesome. Do you, um, yeah, no, fat, so, so you get there, they're like, oh, by the way, you got to be an SDR. And so you make the transition from SDR. Now, who do you actually report to? currently do you report to marketing or do you report to sales are you sales enablement yeah we're in sales um so the sales enablement team rolls up to the the director of enterprise okay okay what's your favorite part about your job probably the coaching aspect uh to me that that's always the most satisfying because the the big fun part about being in enablement and training is seeing people make aha moments when their eyes light up and they're like holy crap like oh that's what it is that kind of thing. It's like watching a child's eyes light up, you know, it's just a, a great feeling. <laughs> so what's the, so do you, so you really enjoy the coaching, like the coach, do you consider yourself like a coach, like a, like a teacher? Yes. I, I'd say I'm more like coach persona than I am management persona, but I've like Saban, like, like Saban. Bobby Knight or John Wood. No, not throwing anything. <laughs> So, so one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is, um, so I, I know that you had mentioned on LinkedIn 
that you were asking about how people separate their personal identity from their sales role. What, what do you yeah. like? T- tell me a little bit about that. What like what caused the question, and then how do you think about that? And what were some of the interesting answers that you got? So the whole idea came from when I had read a little book called "You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike" at a seminar by David Sandler. Uh, about half of that book is about the concept of identity versus role where there's this trap and this book was written in the fifties, right? So this has been going on forever where people associate their entire identity with the role that they play in capitalism, which is incredibly psychologically damaging because every day you cross the bridge into your job and you're the salesperson. And what's supposed to happen is once you're done, it's five o'clock and you punch out, you take your salesperson hat off and then you go back home to your castle and you live a normal life as Patrick, for example, right? But what happens is people don't take the hat off. They wear it all the way home. They get into bed with a hat on and they start thinking the same thoughts. And it's incredibly destructive, even if you're doing well, because you start associating either success or failure with your identity instead of your role. Because just because you're successful doesn't even mean that who you are caused that. There's millions of factors that play into success. And even like assuming that I'm great and that's why I'm successful is damaging. The same as it's damaging if you think I'm terrible and that's why I'm not successful. Those things don't correlate one to one. So when people have those two things crossed, they start associating their worth with their quota, with their performance at work, their personal life turns into shambles when things aren't going well at work. And it's, it's just incredibly destructive. Yeah, it's interesting. So I talk, so I, so we, uh, we have a profiler that hires for our sales team. And so we put the profiles and we actually put the profile, he profiles the employees uh, as we're going through the interview process. And we actually talk a lot about that because he, he says, Hey, there's certain personalities that are going to be kind of, you know, cosmetically construct. Like if things are going well, everything in their life is going to be going well. If sales is going bad, everything in their life is going to go bad because there's a, there's a predisposition to attach those two things together. And some people are more prone to have that attachment um, than others. Now, do you, do you spend time talking to your salespeople about that? Like, is that part of your. Yeah. A hundred percent, especially with SDRs because they're taking a brunt of this stuff. You know, like uh, the way that we set SDR quotas too is so funny. Like you ask somebody how it was set at any company and the answer is never, well, we looked at three years of historic data and like tracked it back to this. And then if we break it down by month and quarter, depending on the C, it's never that. It's like, well, we need to hit that number because the board said we need to hit that number. And then you have these SDRs putting their self-worth into a number that was just pulled out of thin air, essentially. Um, so, so do you have, no, that's, that's a hundred. Well, so here's, okay. So I'm glad we talked about this topic because this is, you know, at the end of the day, or this podcast is about mental toughness. It's about the important decisions that you, that you make in life and in sales. And it's about the things that transform you from where you are to where you're, where you're going. And ultimately mm-hmm. mental toughness is about really about the ability for you to continue to go, keep moving, right? You get knocked down, you get back up sales. There's lots of podcasts out there about selling and how to sell and what to do and training, but, but there's not a lot of topics on mental toughness and like how to think about continuing to get up and go and, and interact. And so this is a topic of mental toughness, which is, Hey, you got to be able to separate who you are from what you're doing. If you're going to be, if you're going to be successful, um, did, were there any comments when you posted that, that you really, that, well, Hey, what, I guess, first off, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with you. Mental toughness is super important. And a lot of people have a hard time separating those things. And I I think 
your comment about a predisposition is interesting because I think a lot of the predisposition isn't, you know, genetic, right? It's, it's a cultural predisposition where people are taught essentially to conflate those two things, right? So when you're a kid and you go to school and you get straight A's and you come home, your parents say, great job. And they, they give you all this uh, congratulations and your success is amazing. It's reflecting well on us and they treat you better. You do poorly you need to do better, punishments, et cetera. So you start to relate how you feel emotionally to how well your outputs are matching with cultural expectations, right? You were taught that- How do you balance that with just being generally prideful about what you do? That's a completely different thing because being prideful about your role is different than tying how you feel to it. Because pride is more of like, okay, like I'm happy with what I do because- when I come into work, I give 100% of my effort to it. I treat the people I'm around really well, and I, I give all my focus to these people. But it has nothing to do with my success. My success has nothing to do with my inputs. I think a lot of people have a hard time dealing with that because like, I can be a great person and fail, but that doesn't matter. I can be a terrible person to succeed. So why should I take the output and say that's who I am when I'm actually the input? How do you unteach this? Because this is obviously what you're talking about is a taught behavior that's mm-hmm. being taught in every in, in, in 90% of the sales organizations in the country, right? They're teaching you to attach those two things. So how do you, how do you unteach it? Because look, ultimately, what you just said goes back to the, one of the very first podcasts that we did where we talked about, we, we, early on, we were talking a lot about, uh, I'm a big fan of John Wooden, and he never once ever talked about winning and losing. He only talked about... Um, getting better and doing the best that you could, the best that you could with the skills that you had. Right. And so like at the end of every podcast, we say, don't let what you can't do get in in the way of what you can do. That's like how we, that's how we sign off. So a lot of what you're saying sounds a lot like, uh, like John, like uh, Johnny Wooden, who says like, Hey, you got to do your best job. And, you know, his premise was as a teacher in the little town that he grew or that he uh, taught in in Kentucky as a, as a first year teacher, he said he had a lot of kids whose parents wanted them all to get A's, but he knew they did not have the skills to get A's. So he decided to redefine what he considered the, the, the definition of success, which he defined as essentially doing the best that you could with the skills that you had. And that sounds a lot like what you're, what you're saying. So how do you teach 90% of the sales organizations are teaching these people or teaching these SDRs, sales reps, to attach these two things. How do you, how do you unteach that? Yeah. It's still one of those work in progress things where like in the past I've, I've tried to, and, and maybe failed because I still have that cultural instinct to go, Oh, you closed the deal. Like, great. Let's celebrate it in Slack. And I mean, that's still a thing that I have built into me from boiler room sales starting at Yelp, you know, but I'm trying to unlearn it. And one of the major things I'm doing is trying to reward behaviors over successes or failures. So like if somebody comes in and offers to teach a new SDR out of nowhere, like all the fundamentals and like help coach them outside of their role, I'm going to reward that behavior because it's not an output. That's like a great thing they're doing because of who they are. Same thing if they have a really great customer call where they go above and beyond for them. That's an amazing behavior. It's not a closed deal. I'm going to reward the actual behavior in the call. And I start trying to focus on that and give people positive affirmation when they're trending in the right direction. A lot of people will say, oh, you're not hitting your activity metrics. And that's a a way to motivate them to do better. 
but you can say, Hey, like, I'm really proud of you for showing up today. Like, that's amazing. Like, do you think you can make 10 dials this morning? Like if you can just let me know like that kind of thing, going softer on it while still encouraging it, I think is a subtle shift in perspective that we need to start making in sales management. Cause the old school is just a lot of shame and shame just encourages the success failure dynamic in my opinion. Right, give me an example of somebody being shamed. Like, I mean, like what, like, Hey, you just didn't make your numbers and we're going to fire you or like what? I, I mean, I think the fact that we like, I mean, look at a leaderboard. Think about the fact that like, there are some sales companies where you walk in every day and like, there's this leaderboard that has nothing to do with what these people are actually doing. It's just like their deals. Right. And you look at that every day and then you see you're not on it ever. Right. It's like, okay. But I come in every day. I make the same calls. I put the effort in. I coach the new people. I put extra hours in. I'm not on a leaderboard. So like the stuff that they're doing isn't being rewarded. So they feel ashamed. And then, like you said, there's also just the metrics thing where it's like, you only made 20 calls today. I've had situations where I wasn't allowed to use the bathroom because it wasn't at my call metrics. That's intense. That's intense. Yeah. Well, shame, I, mean, I think man. in all of this, there's a, you know, that's, that is a shame. I think in all of this, there's a, there's a, there's a balance, right? I mean, you can't, you can't, do you think you can totally take your eye off the revenue number? No, I, I think there's room to introduce other aspects while keeping that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's both, right? I mean, I think, you know, one thing is incentivizing behavior. So um, I'm a big fan of Buffett and uh, Munger and they talk a lot about incentives. So it's like, you got to incentivize, you typically get what you incentivize for. And so you've got to figure out what you want and then you got to figure out how to incentivize for that. I think traditionally we think about that as revenue, right? But is revenue really what you're trying? I mean, revenue, in my opinion, is a byproduct of doing all the other things that you should do, right? If you take the sales cycle, you do all the things you're supposed to do. Revenue is just a byproduct of that's not actually what you want from your, your, yeah, your salespeople. That's, that's how I think about it. A hundred percent. Can you imagine if there was an incentive for people to help new hires? How does that scale compared to an extra 10 K a month? What if your best rep was incentivized for every 10 new people coming in, he coaches them and is able to take the skills that made them the best and scale it to everyone else coming in. But we don't incentivize that behavior at all. So unless people want to go on a management track, you don't see it, period. No, no, it's interesting. Patrick, we could talk all day, man. This is, <laughs> this is, this is fun. Like, no, you're, you're going to incentivize. So, so we're getting, we're getting close here on, on, on time. So let me ask you a couple of questions. What's the one thing sure. you're like the most passionate about? I would say film. Um, I'm passionate about film and television. I, I, talked about a lot of things that I wanted to do when I was a kid here, but I moved to studio city when I was like 21. I did like a gap year in college. I was a PA on a show called baby daddy, which is this terrible show. Don't look it up. No, and, uh, dude. The only, my, I'm sorry. My kid, my girls, you know what this is? Oh dude. I know what this is. So what, it's where, terrible. where are you at on the show? What's your role in the show? It was just like the lowest level PA, like getting people coffee kind of job. Right. Cause I was going to LA thinking I'm going to be, you know, the next dude I wanted to be involved in film and television. So that was my first step in. And I had such a bad experience. I was just like, all right, I'm going to get out of here for a minute. <laughs> but to me, film and television is still my greatest passion. I'd love to make a movie someday. Dude, that's, uh, that's uh, so awesome. So Kyle, again, uh, back, you got to edit out me noting that my kids like baby. <laughs> so we got to get, they will be shamed. They will be oh, shamed. Man. So, <laughs> Anyways, we'll talk about Baby Daddy in a second. 
Um, so what stops you from, you know, what's, is there a, you know, someday in the future, do you make the jump and go, go back to try to make a movie or, or to be in a movie? Yeah, I think like the path I'm thinking about right now is eventually going full time into media production, podcasting and, and that kind of thing. And then slowly use that as a way to get something financed and made too, and do them concurrently. All right. What a great conversation with Patrick. I think the one big takeaway that I had from that conversation was really rethinking success and sales. So we tend to think about it as a number. And I think that's probably where I lean towards, you know, being number focused. I think that probably comes from being highly competitive. And when you're highly competitive, you're just super focused on the score and you're focused on winning. But like a good teacher, I think Patrick um, laid out this different idea, which which I would consider to be more Wooden-esque. So if you know anything about John Wooden, all his players say, you know, not only is he one of the greatest basketball coaches ever, probably one of the greatest teachers, all of his students or his players um, commented on the fact that they never heard him say the word win or lose. And that all of his teaching was really focused around a core set of skills. And in many cases, those skills were individualized to a player. And he also focused on a, on a, on a core philosophy around the team. And so as we were talking to Patrick, a lot of the stuff that he was talking about is rethinking the idea in sales really was very wooden-esque in the fact that he was really trying to detach uh, revenue numbers from success and get his sales team or his players to focus on the skills and then to be able to um, put a number or put a success rate on those skills so that they could improve. And I think that was the big takeaway is that it's so easy to get focused on the score because there's so many things in sales that we can uh, that we can focus on that we can that we can tally right. We can tally phone calls. We can tally uh, you know the, the revenue number. But at the end of the day, if the goal is to get people to improve, then you have to get them to focus on the skills uh, and monetizing or incentivizing improvement around those skills. So that's the big takeaway that I got, the idea of rethinking success in sales. All right. If you enjoyed the conversation with Patrick, we'd love to have you sign up for our newsletter at monsterconnect.com forward slash podcast, or you can get additional content and insights around sales techniques and how to grow in your role as a sales rep or a sales manager. And remember, as always, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can. 